0: Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of the UVC podcast. I'm David and I'm joined by Andreas as usual. Today we have George Henry with us. George is a GP at Phoenix Court Group. Phoenix Court is focused on building global businesses based on innovative science and technology to have the maximum positive impact on society. Local Lobe has an established portfolio of more than 60 companies and notable investments include Melio, Travelperk, Tide, Highbob, Motorway, Wise, Oxford Nanopore and AvantArt. At Local Globe, George focuses on marketplaces, e-commerce 2.0, SaaS, with a particular focus for SMEs across New Palo Alto. New Palo Alto is a region which encompasses a market of 40 million people and is roughly four hours train ride from Phoenix Court's home next to St. Pancras, London. George led the investments into the Travel Perk, Recce, Taster, and Cogita. And if you're listening in and you love our show, you know what to do. Drop us a review, follow the pod, and subscribe at eu.vc.
1: Tear down this wall. It's more than just an alliance. alliance. This this is a union of values. values, 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 United and determined, we can serve as a model for other regions of the world. world. The The nature of a problem Problem requires a European response. response. Europe is a story of new beginnings. New new beginnings.
2: Let's start acting.
0: Are you tired of only knowing what European VCs sound like? Yawn no more. Leap over to eu.vc where the episodes come alive. Now with every new episode featured in full video, high def, pristine lighting, emotions up close, and men and women who pick their boogers, don't settle for eavesdropping on Europe's best investors. Join the peak show instead at
2: eu.vc.
0: This show is not investment advice, and the hosts of this episode may be invested in the funds and companies featured.
2: So I want to just ask you, George, how exactly does Phoenix Court Group go together with Local Globe and also the fund of fund investments that are happening out of Local Globe, but that's not Local Globe? I think everyone knows the brand Local Globe, but much less Phoenix Court Group. And it's always, always, when we talk to GPs that are fundraising, it's like, don't don't local globe do some LP investments as well? What's that? What's the fund they do that out of? <laughs> so please clear this up for us.
1: <laughs> yeah, happy happy to explain. Uh, I think we started to talk about this recently, but we haven't talked uh, a lot about it. So maybe there is a bit of uh, confusion. I think first probably it reflects the first thing that you know we see ourselves as like uh, still an entrepreneurial firm. Like we're building the firm, uh, we're innovating and building new products. Which means that uh, sometimes when you add a new product, you need to explain that product. Sometimes you have a new product that you don't talk much about because first you, you're trying it out. As you said, uh, the firm is probably most known for Local Globe, and Local Globe remains very much the core of what we do. And that's where for us everything starts. Local Globe invests at pre seed seed. We want to back you know, the most exciting founders and companies in Europe, and more specifically about New Palo Alto, which we can come to a, a, a bit later. But at the same time, we see our mission as being a a long-term neighbor to the founders we back. We want to be the best long-term neighbor um, in terms of being a great partner to these these companies. And so to be a good long-term neighbor, we wanted to continue to concentrate capital into the most exciting companies that we back at Seed. So that's why a couple of years ago, we introduced uh, Latitude, which is a breakout fund investing at Series B and onwards. Latitude mandate is really to double down into the most exciting companies coming out of uh, Local Globe. The difference being that Latitude doesn't lead. So with Local Globe, we very much see our role as like leading pre-seed or seed rounds. Latitude would invest at Series B, but uh, wouldn't lead. But it's uh, for us, it's a way to continue the journey with the companies. Like I said, like concentrating uh, more capital in those companies. And then more recently, we've been uh, introducing a solar fund. For two reasons one of them is the same same philosophy and ideas being able as those companies as we have a pipeline of companies approaching uh ipos we want to be able to invest in the pre-ipo round of those companies and hold the, the shares from from solar but i think it's also you know in everything we do we try to do it for self for the organization but also we want to see everything we do as a contribution to the ecosystem and you know it was very much the, the spirit behind Local Group when, when Robin and soul started and when we started to build a firm like eight years ago. And then solar is still a, a reflection of this in terms of like what we think Europe missed the most right now is scale up capital, uh, people who can invest, understand technology companies and take a long term view. It's also in, in, in that sense that solar is, our, is a contribution to this. When it comes to the fund of fund, this is very much like something in, in beta, just like you know, Robin and Sol started Group. 20 years ago by making angel investments. Really, before the institutional phase, uh, they've also been making for a number of years LP investment or angel LP investment, something you guys would be familiar with, into uh, into funds. And what we've done over the last couple of years is just uh, starting to just uh, integrate this as part of like what we do in terms of um, you know bringing everything under one platform, which then explains uh, Phoenix Core Group, so the holding company uh, on 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 top of all these different the different vehicles with the idea of being like super integrated. So for us, you know, we've seen, uh, and you guys have interviewed a bunch of them and, and we can talk about them later, but you've probably seen really great uh, solo GPs or emerging managers. And again, we felt like uh, it would be a great opportunity for us to, uh, to support them on their journey. And, and as we also recognize they can be great partners to, our, to the companies we, uh, uh, we invest in. We're not writing big checks. I think the most important thing for us with Basecamp, because that's how we call that activity, is also looking at this as a community. So it's not just the checks and we have uh, solo GPs, you know, who've joined Basecamp events and Basecamp activities who we've not necessarily invested in.
0: To anyone listening in that would like like a more kind of written structured overview, I think TechCrunch did a good article where they, they talk about Phoenix Court Group, Latter-day Local Globe, Basecamp, Solar, and we'll obviously add that into the episode notes.
2: So with that, <laughs> explainer on the on the Phoenix Court Group family. Let's head on into our usual script and ask you, George. Tell us and share with our audience how you got
1: into venture. So my journey to venture, um, I guess it's always easier to to have the benefit in hindsight and, and and look back. I think for me there were probably a couple of aha moments which which led me to uh to this to where I'm now. I think first I did make to a program in Macau, uh, the uh, the former like Portuguese colony just. Uh, Uh, near Hong Kong in Asia. And uh, that's where I signed up for MySpace for the first time. But then really the most important one was like Facebook started to spread out through universities. And you know, you just remember probably like some of those tools that you used for the first time, like the iPhone or maybe even a toy when you were uh, a child. And especially as in Macau, we're doing lots of travel and backpacking travel across Southeast Asia. It became an amazing platform just to
0: you took me back to using
1: myspace it <laughs> feels like yeah
0: feels like a life ago but i remember it was so cool and i i used to be like uh i still i still play guitar right but i used to be like an aspiring musician at the time it was an incredible platform to share to share like music and 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 you know the concerts that we were giving and attending oh
1: fuck, that was that was cool <laughs>
0: thank you for that
1: <laughs> no i think exactly i think you know everybody was aspiring something right with those platforms like you wanted you wanted to aspire to do something just to try those platforms out, which I think already shows the, the, um, the attractiveness that they had. Obviously, Facebook went a lot more viral than MySpace. And I thought what was really interesting with Facebook, like it really made you a participant of the Internet. Before that, of course, some people were already participating like some forums, etc. But the, the Internet was mostly a place to browse and, and search. Uh, Facebook really turned uh, being a participant and an act on the Internet into the mainstream. So in terms of like piquing my interest in terms of those products, I think that was the first moment. The, the second moment for me and probably for my entire generation of investors was the subprime crisis. I was doing a six-month internship at uh, J.P. Morgan between Brussels and, and London. I started that uh, internship in August uh, 28. and I think that's the month where Lehman went, went bankrupt. And, you know, the big story behind the subprime and the great financial crisis was obviously how finance had become completely disconnected from the real economy, like people had started to build, sell, invest in those structured products, which maybe serve a purpose in, in the financial markets. But I think, again, what piqued my interest was more trying to understand the connection between finance and, and the real economy. So what I did after this internship with two of my best friends, we uh, backpacked across South America and did uh, kind of a reporting and movie around uh, entrepreneurs and trying to highlight how they had funded themselves. And, you know, a lot of them were like social entrepreneurs, so really people who are trying to build something new, something innovative in very challenging markets and really against all odds, and trying to understand like how they fund themselves, whether it was like grants, debt, sometimes like social funds investing in them, et cetera. And I think that project did two things for me. It got me closer to, uh, you know, amazing entrepreneurs. And like I said, people building companies in very difficult market conditions, but also he, we, you know, we build a website, we started to uh, post on Twitter. We had our, our Vimeo and YouTube accounts for the videos we're making. We're trying to edit videos on the go. And again, so experimenting and playing with those tools, but also seeing the power in terms of like reaching a new audience and, and for people to follow us almost like daily around this trip. After this, I went to Bain as a management consultant, uh, you know, because I, I just wanted to learn about like the inside of businesses after after studying it. But very quickly at Bain, what I worked on like super interesting projects, I was spending my evenings or what was left of my evenings on on Twitter and reading TechCrunch, et cetera. You know, it was also the start of what I would call like the YC culture, the social network movie came out. It was just something extremely like uh, inspiring and aspiring to, to, to join startup. And I think it was really a cultural moment on the back of the financial crisis where I think, you know, innovation shift from finance to software. People were innovating a lot with like financial products and now people wanted to innovate really with software. And so you know, the pool became like extremely strong. I was fascinated by Airbnb. I thought it was the coolest business ever, uh, their branding, their photos, the idea of like the peer-to-peer economy and peer-to-peer marketplaces. So with a friend of mine, we started a peer-to-peer marketplace for local activities, which we first did in Brussels. But you know Brussels is a small city, so reaching liquidity was, was probably easier. And then we moved to London, which obviously it was a much, much harder challenge. And we realized London didn't really lack a supply of, of new activities. It was more about distribution, selling those activities. So the business became like really hard to scale. And after this, I had the opportunity to join uh, Index Ventures. Uh, actually, by seeing a tweet from Robin, uh, so Robin Klein on, on Twitter saying he was looking for someone to, to work with him. So I had the amazing opportunity to join uh, join Index that was 2013. I didn't really know what a venture capital was. I mean, I had a very detached image of what it was. I hadn't raised institutional uh, money with my, uh, with my startup. But for me, the objective was really to see what great companies look like from up close and, and, and almost from the inside. And INDEX was the most successful fund in Europe. Uh, at that point, they had backed some amazing companies. So I thought the opportunity to like, go and, and, and see what their portfolio companies and founders look like was amazing. But I really joined INDEX thinking my next step would be a, another entrepreneurial journey. I was like, either I'll, I will join an early stage company from the portfolio or I start a company, which I think is the really classic thing for a lot of people who join those large firms as, at an associate level. Spent two years there working mostly with, with Robin and Saul. And, and as it happened after two years in 2015, they said they were leaving because they wanted to institutionalize Local Globe, which was their, their angel activities. And I had the opportunity to go and do this with them. Uh, what I always like to say, again, it's, at that point, obviously, I had a bit more of understanding what, what VC was. But really, I think the, the entrepreneurial opportunity I was looking at at Index became Local Globe because what I was excited about was much more about joining them in building a new institution, building a new firm. I knew they were extremely entrepreneurial and in many ways, they're founders before the investors. And so that was extremely exciting to me. And um, so that's why in 2015, uh, the summer of 2015, joined them to institutionalize uh, Local Globe and, and help them build a firm.
2: Can I ask you to go ten years back, <laughs> George, and tell us a bit about your reflections on being picked by Saul to come work at Index, right? Because that's a situation that a bunch of people out there would dream about, right? Uh, and you said I hardly knew what venture was, <laughs> and then and then I went went in, and
1: <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, I, I, like I said, I think Index had built already an amazing brand, an amazing platform, and like most people who try to evaluate venture capital from, I think you look at what are the companies they've backed, and at that point for me, Index was really the the, the, the place to go. In terms of the actual process, it was quite an intense process. I think, you know, you have like eight or nine interviews. Um, you meet most of the people at the firm. At least the thing I was pitching to them or like answering in the question was, my combination around, um, you know, having done a bit of consulting and uh, and all the different, I guess, you know, consulting companies are amazing training grounds in terms of attention to detail, communication skills. Like, that. they really teach you a lot within a few years. But then also having done my own uh, entrepreneurial startup, uh, had, we had done tech stars in London, et cetera. So I had like probably a good early understanding of like the the venture scene uh, in London. But I think for the rest, maybe you'll you'll have to ask uh, Saul or Robin.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, coupling that experience with your own thinking now, in terms of hiring as a VC, what has it taught you? Um, I, I love to pick your brains there because we, you know, we don't actually don't talk too often on this part about recruiting as as a VC. But but now I, I kind of stumbled into the topic, and I I think it's incredibly interesting to hear both now that we know your own journey and that what that process looked like. How, how do you think about it now?
1: I mean, we're almost 30 people now through the organization. So hiring and, and talent is something we've been discussing a lot over the last couple of years. I think it's still a topic where we're really exploring and trying to, to, to get better at. I think definitely we have this view a little bit like startups and founders that VC is something that uh, anyone can do. It's not like the, the privilege of like, oh, you need to have studied like finance or economics, etc. I think it's really more about personality and passion. And I think that's really what we look for in uh, in people. I had this conversation actually with Saul recently around, you know, people who are interesting and people who are interested. And I think these are some of the things uh, we're really trying to assess. And that interest can come from like a lot of different places. Of course, then you need to test whether they have like you think they'll develop or maybe already have like a really strong passion for technology and products. But now, technology is like it's just everywhere. I think, you know, that, again, that interest can, if you're passionate about, you know, one of my partner, Julia, who joined us a couple of years ago, she, she came with, like, a really strong passion around health uh, for a number of reasons. And she really wanted to go, like, really deep around health. And um, we're really looking for, like, interesting and interested people. And actually, the more diverse in terms of both background and cultural background, the better for us. I would also add, sorry, one thing that's extremely important is EQ. I think, you know, the, the, the venture capital industry we use the word venture, but in many ways, uh, if you think about it, it's a human capital industry, it's, so much comes down to people. Whether it's the founders uh, you, you back, whether it's the people that those founders will recruit, whether it's the team we're building ourselves, whether it's the angels or like board members, like everything comes down to, a, to relationships. And so I think the EQ aspect is so important in terms of like uh, building and navigating those relationships.
2: You just mentioned Julia. I think she's the, the, the longest standing non-interviewee on UVC, <laughs> meaning that we had it scheduled a year ago or so. And then for some reason it got it got uh, canceled. And then ever since we've been in periodic contact about getting it rescheduled. Uh, Julia is amazing. And we only know great people from local clubs, So amazing to have you with us here.
0: I just realized, George, by the way, we went to the same university because I did my master's in, in Louvain as well. That's kind of cool. Are you Belgian?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, from, uh, I'm from Belgium. Uh, I grew up uh, south of Brussels and I ah, studied nice. in, in uh, Louvain-Lenau, which is in the French-speaking part. Yeah, and then that's one exactly year in Gandalf, where I was. Yeah. Okay, amazing. George Henry, you're,
2: you're George Henry. <laughs> George <laughs> yes
1: exactly exactly <laughs> wait i've i've cut my name in half because it's easier in the uk so I'll, yeah. <laughs> yeah, now people think think i'm i'm british until they hear me speak
0: <laughs> george you shared you shared um obviously um some i I i'd actually say a couple of of quite pivotal moments uh, in your life there and in the intro but i'd love to ask you the question as we always do what has been a pivotal moment in your life and how has it shaped you today as an investor
1: i mean first of all thank you for asking because i think this is one of the you know best questions that probably anyone wants to reflect on and and really forces you to think how deep or how personal i want to go i think i've already mentioned the but i think this is more like for my entire generation, but I think the subprime crisis and Great Recession crisis was a really interesting point in time for uh, for this generation, the current generation of, of investors, because it, it really shifted a lot of the focus and the talent from finance to to technology. But then, if it's about me and I, uh, you know, I'll probably uh, share something a bit more personal and probably the most personal thing I, I can share. So when I was four years old, or about to turn four years old, my older sister who was about to turn six died in, a, in an accident where where I was there. And obviously, it's the worst that can, uh, that can happen. You know, I remember uh, the day itself. I remember the day afterwards. And so it's just been with me uh, ever since. But I really have to give credit to my parents because I had a very happy childhood. And you, know, you would expect maybe this happens. And so many things like you don't recover, whether it's as a family, as a couple, as a child. It was really like a, a very happy childhood. And I think they really showed me that the worst can happen. And you can still hope and take the best out of it. I think it's been an amazing lesson in terms of like, just keep believing, being optimistic, taking a long term view. Because obviously, grief takes a lot of time. I mean, it never disappears. You know, endurance is is one of my favorite words, and I think grief is the ultimate endurance exercise because it's a uh, uh, it doesn't go away. But the reason why I love this idea of endurance is like it combines patience because you got to be patient, but you always move forward. Like you never stop, you keep moving. And so yeah, so it's been. Uh, you know, I also I think it makes you appreciate life at a very young age. Because one uh, definitely one of the things I was always asking myself is like, you know, why would uh someone who's sixth uh would would have to, you know, leave this this earth so 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 early on while I'm I'm here. Um so instead of like really trying to make the most of it, it's it's the, almost a daily reminder that uh that I really want to make the most of it. So yeah, and then I think it, you take it everywhere with you, professionally, uh, socially, like all the relationships you try to build. And when it comes to this industry specifically, I think you know venture capital is very much an endurance game. Hopefully, it's uh, it's something I try to uh, to to use and apply as well.
0: George, thanks thanks for sharing. And I know we have a, we have a shout out segment later on, but that's very VC specific. I think here we should give a shout out to your parents. <laughs> I think that is that is granted amazing. Uh, are you uh, I'm going to completely sidetrack the scripture. are you are you religious ha, has Has this impacted your views on religion and and spirituality?
1: Great question. Yes, I was raised a Catholic, uh, and I think my parents uh, were very, very spiritual. I think the thing that really mattered uh for us and for me was just believing that she's there. you know and you, and and I think honestly, in terms of like what's the actual religion, it was more the idea of uh, you know, she, she's there, she's with you. And of course, I think in you know, around the topic of death and grief, there are lots of things that you don't really understand. And I think just this appreciation that there is something that's just beyond you potentially, but it's there. And um, and again, I think it's just certain things are not, you know, I think as humans we're we're incredibly driven in trying to control everything. And in a way, it's it's amazing because that's what leads to so much innovation, right? Like you, you look at it now. Uh, There's like enormous uh, challenge related to like climates, uh, change, you know, the the humans want to control that problem. So we have a default to control, which, like I said, is a really positive thing. But I think still recognizing that sometimes there's certain things we can't fully understand and they might be beyond us. There's also a sense of of humility, which just challenges like uh, constantly.
2: Are you a parent now yourself?
1: Uh, Yes, I have three, uh, three young girls.
2: I have a feeling that given your age, I have a feeling if you have three now, then the answer to to the question I was about to ask is pretty self-evident. How has it shaped you in terms of thinking about family yourself now and, and, and also work-life balance? Because I think venture can be all consuming, right? Um, so I'd, be, I'd love to hear how you reflect on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, family is amazing. Uh, I grew up, um, so my parents had five children, but uh, so... You know, my 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 sister was the first one. I was the second. Then after they they had another uh, three. Um, so I grew up in a in a large uh, in a large family, and I've, I think I've always enjoyed this kind of like happy chaos. Um, so yeah, I think you know becoming a parent for me and and for my wife uh, was definitely something we both aspire to. I think that the amazing thing with kids is they really bring the best out of you. You know, I think you have this notion of like, of course, there's like and con- unconditional love, which is an amazing feeling, which goes both ways. But I think beyond that love, maybe as a parent, when you get into it, you feel like, oh, I'm going to raise my kid, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you think about the words, and, and I think ro- words matter, you have this, this belief that, oh, I've been through life. I'm not like 32, or like I'm going to teach them a bunch of things. And then I think what I've learned and realized, it's, uh, it's, it's really a two-way conversation. And they teach you so much and in terms of patience listening empathy uh sometimes something that you take as a rule maybe you should question that rule and um so i think if you really take the time for it uh and i think kids is beyond just uh, yeah, the yeah the pure love i think it's it really can make you a better version of yourself uh or at least bring the yeah bring the best of of you and in terms of prioritization and focus as well, because you have, like you said, you have less time. Uh, venture, you know, I think a lot of the people I see venture, they work really hard. Uh, if you want to do this well, like you're trying to work really hard, because there's always a a new thing to read, and another email to respond, another WhatsApp or call to respond to, another company to meet. So you really have to to prioritize. It's a it's a constant exercise. I'm not sure I've nailed it, but again, if if we continue the shout out section, I think in terms of like the appreciation of like the two-way conversation, I really have to give the, the credit to my wife Isabel, who's been uh, amazing to uh, push me in understanding that uh, you know, they, they're teaching us a lot.
2: So uh, you've said many things uh, that we will actually be touching on later in the episode, so I do think that we should just continue. So let's head on into the take a stand drop. Take a stop. A stop. A stop. Now, I'd love to ask you to comment on this quote by Simon Lohmann, and the quote goes as follows. Europe will not sleep through the next technology wave. And what I mean with that is actually the AI platform shift that we have at the moment.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I've picked that quote, not because I disagree with it, but because I strongly, strongly uh, agree with it. I think, uh, you know, we're extremely long Europe. I think Europe, even at at a high level, even before we start talking about startup, is an amazing and inspiring project. Uh, Of course, it's imperfect. And, you know, I live in London, so, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm I'm still sad that the country decided to leave the the EU a couple of, of years ago. But if you look at where the world is today, I think there is so much we can all learn our generation and, and especially political leaders from the fathers of the European project and what they, they achieved uh, a couple of decades ago. So I think just in itself, like recognizing, even if it's imperfect, and even if people will always argue about things that can get better. And I'm definitely not you know an expert in politics, so I'm, I'm not sure I would have a strong view, but I just think this, if you look again take a long-term view but more looking at the past where europe was less than 100 years ago and where it is today they you know for me there is no other way to look at it say, like it's 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 an amazing uh, achievement putting the politics aside i think as a market for venture europe for which a long for a long time was considered as a frontier market and again that's why i need to give so much credit to, uh, to my partners soul and robin because i think they saw it and they advocated for it for so long before it was uh, it obvious to most, but you know, Europe is, is an extremely exciting market which we've now seen over the last couple of years with, with some amazing companies. But I think Europe is really interesting uh, at this point and going forward for two things. I think it has amazing raw ingredients and raw talents. It has amazing universities. It has amazing people and talents, it has amazing companies, it has amazing social values. It has, it has funding, there's lots of people with a lot of money in Europe. I think there is a second thing, which maybe is slightly more intangible, but there is, there is an, yeah, a set of like in, intangible values and social values in Europe, which are, I think, extremely strong, but also very well suited for where the world is heading with technology. Whether if you, Even if you look at the history around like philosophy and some of the social science, which I think, as we try to understand our role and positions toward machines, is gonna become uh, even more important. The appreciation for design, for beauty, for the arts, there's amazing cultural heritage in, in Europe. And I think if you blend this together, this amazing raw talent and raw capabilities with this very strong cultural values and heritage, I think, you know, it can produce amazing thing. And we've started to see it in, in the last couple of years. If you take AI specifically, as you said, you know, DeepMind was arguably one of the real and it was ARM before that, but DeepMind was arguably one of the first breakout AI company, but it had to be acquired to really scale. And I think that's where it shows where Europe still has a long way to go. And I think I was referring to it when I introduced the platform and why we we, we launched solar is because we think right now, um, where Europe needs some of the most help is at the scale-up level. There is like really strong emerging scene at the early stage, but in terms of having people having the vision and the resources to back some of those projects long-term Europe really needs to up its game and if you look at it when amazing companies go public and they go public outside of Europe and then the investors who back those companies are pension funds who sits outside of Europe in in a way and it's, it's a line we've used internally at, at uh at Global and, and and within the group it's we're selling our future like you know we're generating returns for people who don't live here while we've done all the hard work of creating those companies backing those companies Etc. cetera. And you look at ChatGPT today, I think there's no reason to believe ChatGPT could not have been born uh, in Europe. Maybe DeepMind could have been ChatGPT, right? And I know with IF you can do lots of things, but what's for sure is of course, uh, the European company wouldn't have had the resources to really scale. And, and that's why you see like the, the way uh, ChatGPT has ma- um, managed to scale through partnerships and, and investments. But, you know, we had DeepMind, we had SwiftKey, which Microsoft acquired, by the way, but I think you also see through, through other industries, like see what's going on in Paris, which is catching up with London. And I think it's amazing to see what's happening in Paris. There is obviously an amazing AI scene in Paris, but there is also like an amazing appreciation of like consumer culture, which we see through the Zenli team of launching a new product. And I don't think it's, it's a coincidence. Like I was reading recently, I think 40% of the Paris stock exchange or like CAC 40 is uh, related to like uh, luxury fashion and, and, and beauty. Uh, you even have, I think, Cotier, a U.S. company doing a dual listing in Paris because they're recognized as like uh, almost a thematic market uh, stock exchange. So, yeah, I think look look all around and and, and you see all this potential and, and start to see evidence that this potential is coming to life. And then, yeah, happy to talk more specifically about New Palo Alto, but uh, maybe that's for, for a later question.
0: yeah george i i love how you kind of set it up and and mentioned a bunch of things that we're now gonna deep dive in and the way i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of kick kick this conversation off is with you know i know I know that you have some interesting reflections on the relationship between culture technology and politics, and of course i'd love to to ask you to expand on that and how it actually affects your own views on 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 the way you invest and how you think about your strategy, but maybe also throw in an extra topic in there which is well if 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 you share that view, one could argue that tech investors have an underlying responsibility because they are impacting culture and politics. and do you do you think that the cohort of European venture investors that we have today are up to that responsibility, and are they accountable for that?
1: For sure, I mean I, I don't want to speak on behalf of of everyone, but at least I think the conversations we have internally, and again, you were going back to like uh you know who are the kind of people we want to hire? I think that sense of like mission and purpose and being extremely aligned around like the long-term mission of what we want to achieve as a firm and the and and the companies that we back, what we want them to achieve. I think that this sense of alignment is extremely important. I think you see a lot of people trying to focus around some of the hardest problems and opportunities, right? Whether it's around climate, it's around health. So I think that's the amazing thing with what has changed in the VC industry. It used to be almost a retirement job, right? People had done, uh, you know, a couple of companies, operators, they had, um, and in many ways, you need those people because they have amazing experience in building businesses. But I think that the opportunity that we have today is someone at the beginning of their career can decide whether they've done a bit of startups or a bit of like um, businesses or other things, other activities. Say, so, you know, I really want to back some of the most exciting companies. I'm really passionate about innovation and the impact those companies can have on the world it really allows the investors to take the long-term view alongside those companies. Because in many ways, you're, you're betting those, your own career on, on these investments, right? The feedback loop is so long in venture that you need to be aligned with the long-term potential of those companies. So I think that sense of like mission and purpose driven related to the, to the industry is is definitely growing. yeah.
0: And George, I want to ask you to expand on this, uh, you know, this this view you have of the relationship between politics, tech and culture, Do, lay it on us. I'd love to hear you expand on that.
1: Yeah, so I think it was um, triggered probably with a conversation with a friend of mine who is uh, uh, in the culture industry, like he produces music, um, he created a foundation related to climate, etc. So he spends a lot of time thinking about culture. A couple of years ago, I wrote a blog post about the climate zeitgeist where I was explaining that. I think we were the tipping point for like climate because Climate had become like a cultural uh, movement. It wasn't just an industry. You, were, you you had people following Greta, walking down the streets, and are really like um, you know advocating like they hadn't advocated for 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 a really really long time. And he was my friend was explaining like his he believes that culture always sits upstreams of politics. It's really what something becomes extremely cultural that uh, you have pressure on politics to, um, to regulate and, and intervene. And so if you can drive the right cultural change, you'll be able to be in a position where you can have governments to act. And then I start to reflect on this, and I'm really interested about the relationship between technology and culture, because I think you know, technology is the, is the enabler, is the innovation, but then for a product to succeed, it needs to be adopted, right? And it's a bit of a chicken and egg there, but I think it's the adoption, it's the cultural adoption of a technology that really is driving the change. If you look at it through this lens and, and take AI, for example, you know, there's been a new breakthrough technology after all, you know, with the work and research that have been done over decades. But now we are, feel like we're in inflection points around the, around AI. There is a product like ChatGPT or Mid Journey, which is really driving and changing culture in a very uh, rapid and profound ways. And then you have governments looking at AI and suddenly like, we need to we need to regulate this thing or we need to understand it. I think in a way the path is becoming shorter and shorter. Like if you look at the, the time that it took for uh, some governments to really start to understand the potential of impact of like social media and social net networks or other businesses that were like changing industries in profound ways. Now I think it's going much faster. I think in many ways it's a positive because I think the more you can have conversations and, you know, I'm, I'm really using conversation, not immediately regulation, but I think the more you can have conversation between all the different sectors at an early stage, I think the better. It doesn't mean everything is to get regulated too quickly because I think you can also then slow down innovation. But that's where, again, if we invest in the new breakthrough technologies, of course, we, have a, we really have a responsibility in terms of uh, what we look at and, and, and what, um, what we're investing in. And I think that's what partly makes us excited about, again, Europe and New Palo Alto, so as you described, the forward train ride from London. I think the proximity you have between the talent, the science, the innovation, the cultural industries, and the governments, I think in the age where we're at now, it's, um, it's an opportunity because, again, look at the AI Safety Summit that was organized a couple of weeks ago in the UK. I think it was a great example and great reflection of like the proximity of all these disciplines. Being able to come together and have a constructive conversation. Did you attend, George? Nope, I wasn't invited. Ah, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, uh, your friends at Index were. I saw that uh, on the Rishni Rishi Sunak and uh, Elon Musk talk. Um, uh, so I have I have a question on the topic of AI and its and tech's impact on culture and vice versa. If we think back. So when venture created or really amplified social media and put money behind the likes of Facebook, Um, we really ended up creating something that has altered how almost anything policy-wise and uh, culture-wise is developed in our our societies. And that was, to a large extent, probably first seen by the VCs that plowed millions of, of dollars into those companies. I think it's fair to argue that we're at the same place with AI. And in our small, narrow uh, world of venture, we talk a lot about the opportunities of AI. We talk some about the threats. Then we have government that talks some, I think, about regulation, but not as much as I'd maybe like, at least not publicly. I know that a lot happens behind the scenes, but we're not seeing it in the public discourse. And I'm thinking, where do you see the role both for yourself, but also for your colleagues in venture in terms of picking up the mantle and actually using our voice to try and talk about what AI actually means for the future uh, and, and for society and for the individuals? Because I think that's in the end where we're putting money, right? That's what we're putting money into. Come make may come to fruition, um, so we're creating that world and, and and financing it. Are we being open enough or or blunt enough, candid enough about what type of future we might be creating?
1: no, I think it's a it's a great question, uh, and uh, it could probably make for a really long conversation. Uh, I think we can always be more open. I think that's a danger. it's something really hard in in our industries like. You know we live a bit in a bubble, and sometimes you think that what we what we see, the products we play with, the thing we discuss, the things we read, we take it for granted that's like uh it's equally distributed, but the reality it's it's not and I think it's part of our responsibility try you know democratize and uh share those uh those perspectives and that's where in a way as a um, you know the v c compared to some of the other you know, asset allocations industry like it's it's quite amazing. It's very open. There's lots of content. People really talk about what they do. So I think that's a great opportunity around AI specifically that like you were asking about the summit, like the week of the summit. We helped co-organize what we call like AI fringe events, which became like a distributed uh, you know conference where you had all sorts of like AI mini talk conferences happening during the week of the summit at the British Library, at the Crick, at our office, we hosted a couple of talks, et cetera, and where the idea was really to bring together corporate, the civil society, and just have an open conversation about AI. And again, I think to go back, when I introduced the platform, I think this connection between really what we do for ourselves as an organization, because we think that's the right thing to do, but also part of the right thing to do is trying to contribute to the ecosystem. To us, that's how we, um, I think that's how we look at it. What I think is really interesting with AI is like the speed at which some of those products have uh, been distributed. Right? Like I remember there were some companies. Like let's go back to Airbnb. It feels like for three years I knew about Airbnb and my friends like didn't know about it. I was like, how how come you can't know about Airbnb? And here I'm amazed. Like ChatGPT, not only people know about it, but people are already using it daily. I'm always surprised when I ask my friends like, are you paying for it? The number of like ChatGPT plus subscribers, et cetera. So again, in a way, it's it's, uh, it's a positive, because I think sometimes playing with this technology is the best way to understand it and, and and then have a conversation about it. But yeah, I think we can always be more open. But I think in terms of open, not only amongst ourselves, but really bringing a lot of parties to the table, whether it's politics, whether it's industries, uh, whether it's universities, that's the key thing around the, the conversation.
0: George, I'm now going to take us into the shout out segment because in the interest of time, we can't continue with this conversation for too long, but hopefully we can revisit this in the future. In the I'd like to ask you to give a shout out to a co-investor, Angel or LP for being awesome. And of course, do share that story with us.
1: So maybe I'll start, uh, I'll, go, I'll do an individual shout out, but I'll start by a collective one because I think one thing which I particularly appreciate, especially over the last two years, where the market has been more challenging, is the value of board members and co-investors. And as we know, VC can be a very competitive industry. But I think it's also important to highlight that once you're on the board, it becomes like a team, uh, a team game, and it, you can really have different people play different roles and bring different perspective, whether it's co-investors and other, you know, other VC firms or non-independent uh, board members former operators, which by the way, are usually an amazing addition to boards. But I think, uh, so I guess a collective shout out to like all the learnings I've had from some of the amazing, uh, uh, fellow board members, especially in the, in the last two years, if I have to pick an individual one, uh, I've already mentioned his name, but I really want to give a, a shout out to Saul because I've now been working with him for, uh, you know, if you include local globe and index, uh, almost 10 years. I first read about him or knew about him when I read a, an interview in DFT, where he was in Estonia talking about early. And every time I go back to that interview, I feel like it's the same message that we discuss now almost every day in the office in terms of like the potential for Europe, uh, the importance to pay attention to Europe, the idea of building really an ecosystem when he co-founded Seedcamp, this notion of openness, which you know we've just talked about being open about AI and the impact on society. You know, he, he launched the uh, Open Coffee Club as a meetup. I don't even know which year it was. It was probably almost 20 years ago. And it became, I think, one of the most popular tech meetups in Europe where people could self-host it in their city. And still today, we get deal flow because people say, hey, I remember Saul from like the hope, uh, like Open Coffee uh, Club. So, yeah, I think in terms of what, what's really amazing about him, he's a founder almost before he's an investor. And what I mean by that, he has a bias towards action and a bias towards like a long-term view and a long-term vision. And the way I always like to describe him Mm -hmm. is like, if you take the uh, uh, think different motto of, of Apple, you know, soul is very much like this. It's like, think different. And whenever I'm in a situation where I'm like, hmm, what should I do? I don't always agree with him, right? And I'm not saying he's always right, but just that like nudge, whether he's there or because, you know, we... We've been working together for a long time thinking okay think different is um it's very stimulating and it goes back to the fact that you know rules like we said for kids like you know you would, you should you think the venture industry has certain rules and certainly there's probably some some rules uh, uh there are and that you need to stick to but there's probably a bunch of rules that you know you don't necessarily need to stick to and again it's reflected in how we're uh, we're building uh we're building the firm today with for example giving a uh, separate brand names to the different funds it's, uh, it's because we want people to understand local globe commitment to seed. And that's where for us the journey starts with companies. We're not a multi-stage firm trying to invest at like every single stage. You know, our reason to exist is local globe. And if we do our job well at local globe, then we'll be invest, able to invest a capital from latitude and with solar because we'll be in some of those companies. Where we will go on this uh, on this journey. But I think again, it's it's very different and and I think there, there are other ways we're that that think different is reflected in how we're being structured. Like from very early on, we set up a foundation as part of the, uh, which I should have mentioned as part of the uh, platform and, and uh, group company. And the foundation gets uh, 10% of our annual profits from the management company. And then 2% of carry of every fund. And right now we've mostly backed local organizations like school NGOs from our neighborhoods, again, going back to the mission of being a, good long-term neighbor, it can be digitally in terms of like partnering with amazing funders uh, in, in New Palo Alto, but it can also be physically with our physical neighborhoods and we treat the investment in those foundations just like a seed investment. We think, you know, see a great organization with some great people at the, at the head of these organizations with a long-term mission and then we make a commitment from the from the foundation. And again, I think it's very it's very unique and it could only be born out of the think different uh, mentality.
2: Now let's head on into our three biggest learning ses- section, and I want to ask you just to tell us what have been the three most important learnings for you in your last ten years.
1: This is probably going to be a bit repetitive. I think I've already mentioned, like you know, kids bringing the best out of you, which is the first one that comes to mind for me. Um, I think the second is the the power of vulnerability. I think you know you you come out of university. You're very driven. You're very ambitious. You want to do things. You start working. Maybe you do a company or you do like a really high demanding job, and like you're pushing, you're pushing, and there's again a sense of like a strength that you want to communicate. And I think actually learning that sometimes showing your vulnerable side is uh, is is extremely powerful. Uh, I had a friend who worked at Apple under uh, Angela Ahrens, Sorry if I mispronounce her her surname, but she was a uh, she's ex Burberry and, and led some of their uh, retail transformation. And he said she was the most amazing uh, leader he ever worked for. And I asked him why, and he said she was not afraid of being vulnerable, and he it built like so much trust with her team. And so I think that's something it's, I've, I've really tried to uh, to apply. And again, like when you guys ask me what's your most pivotal moment, you know, I'm I'm happy to share that maybe you know the the very personal. Uh, Story I share because I think it's uh, it's important for people to really understand who you are and why Certain things are important to you or why you might react to certain things in certain ways and then finally I think this feeling of like uh, Saying no which I think that's quite hard for me, but I'm really trying to learn and nurture but again in, in, in this industry like when you get into it you feel like you have to say yes a lot right because people if you say no too much, they won't send you companies. If you say no to too many meetings, they, will, they won't want to meet with you or catch up, uh, etc. You know, realizing that uh, there's only so much, so many things you can do, and being very focused is extremely important. So, kind of this idea of like less is more, I think is uh, it's something I'm definitely trying to like nurture and cultivate. And that's why people would uh, would always complain that I'm not necessarily always good to reply to emails or at least reply really quickly. It's because I've taken the view that your email inbox is a to-do list that's dictated by other people, and I want to dictate my own to-do list. And so this notion of, like, you know, zero inbox, some people it works really well for some people, but point I just realize, like, it just doesn't work for me. And so I will process my, my inbox in a honestly pretty chaotic way, but I'm trying to make it work. So, yeah, I think that, that these are probably the, the main things that come to mind.
0: Yeah, George, if I may, as a listener, I I think there's a fourth one, at least that I retain from hearing and participating in this, in this interview, which is rules are made to be questioned, both in venture and in life. Because you mentioned this when reflecting on parenting, but you also mentioned this when shouting out uh, to Saul.
1: Yeah, no, I think definitely. And, you know, I think the people we work with every day and the founders, that's basically what they do. They just rethink the rules of, of industry. So I think keeping that mindset, but that's that. I think that's something I find interesting. Like sometimes investors of VCs are not really good at like putting into practice the thing they they preach. And and again, it goes back for us this notion of like building the firm and building the organization is something that we feel also aligns us with some of the founders because we're trying to challenge ourselves. And, you know, the things we don't do well, but we try to get better and improve.
0: It sometimes still feels like a cottage industry and we love our, our rule of thumbs, right? <laughs> it's so easy to navigate the world like that. Anyway, now it's time for the Quickfire Round where I'll ask you a quick uh, three quick answer questions. <laughs> and, and now, the Quickfire Round. Quickfire,
2: Quickfire, 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 Quickfire.
0: What advice would you give your 10 year younger self
1: for me it's very much learning along the way so i, I much prefer to be in the moment and, and and learnings since this is an investment podcast and even though it's not an investment advice but i think 10 years ago probably it was 2013 so probably would have been a good time to uh put a lot of your savings into bitcoin and then uh two years later take some of the return and put it into into ETH. so that's that's what i say but maybe it's a bit trivial
0: I wish i wish i was there to hear that uh, what are your top tips for emerging vcs across europe for now fundraising
1: i think there's an amazing cohort of like emerging uh vcs and solo gbs and like i said very much you know where i see myself as, a, as an emerging uh investor and and an emerging firm the thing we try to apply and my advice would be like behave like a startup like you know pick your oh hello hi there
0: we have an unexpected guest yes to those that are not watching the video uh, Oliver just joined us. Andreas is six year old.
1: You want to say
2: hi, Oliver? You want to say hi?
0: No. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: He's stunned. He's stunned by fame.
1: <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> what is this? Sorry, maybe, George. Maybe uh... we should ask him some questions because if we want to stay true to what we said earlier, maybe he should be the one giving us some. Of the, the one teaching the, us. The <laughs> um, we will wait for a few years, maybe. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, pick a niche, pick something that's like underexplored. Right now, we see a lot of emerging funds uh, trying to go after like operators who can become founders. I think that's a really exciting pool. but I think quite a lot of people start to focus on this. I think you have other people who really try to uh, pick their own niche. Um, You know, take someone like Ramsey who started No Label Ventures, something we, uh, a fund that we backed. I knew he's backing on the immigrant founders, but he's also using his background at like XKKR and Silver Lake. To do precedency, so if you read his memos, it's like you know, honestly, it's quite, it's quite impressive. Gloria porline which uh, I'm sure you know, we should, uh, uh, we should look...
2: just give a shout out to Ramsey because we he's a good friend of the pod as well. So, <laughs> great so, so should, yeah, big shout out. Just take your time here to to make sure that everyone knows that there's a solid guy
1: there. Big big shout out to to Ramsey. We we, we love what he uh what he's doing. Gloria Porline with Puzzle Ventures. I think what's interesting about Gloria is like she's done. Uh, growth investing at tcv and index also early stage investing at index then operator um at crease or so at later stage and then at back to early stages so she has a pretty comprehensive view both on the operator and, and investor side and I think you can see it in the way she's trying to get into you know some of the most interesting pre-seed and seed investments in Europe and then you have probably people who now like look a bit more accomplished but the way Nathan picked AI as a, as a focus a couple of years ago with uh, Air Street, now he has built one of the most valuable, interesting AI community. Pick Nikko at adjacent who, you know, was banging about consumer subscriptions. And we're like, yeah, is that big? Can it really, like, get big enough, etc.? And then today everyone is paying for Spotify and ChatGPT. Yeah, I, I think all these people are, like, really good example of, like, Just like a startup, pick something that you feel people are not paying attention to and then do it really, really well.
0: Final one, what's the most counterintuitive thing you've learned since you've been
1: in venture? I think it's the... And sometimes it's also due to the vocabulary, but you have a sense because the vocabulary for startups is very much around speed and moving fast and velocity and shipping products, et cetera, uh, that you think VC is the same, that you want to go fast, you want to do... And in many ways, VC is just a slow industry. Uh, sometimes you have to move fast, you know, if you look at a company and you need to make a decision in a short amount of time. But even ideally, I think you have a bit of time to make that decision. Uh, but like I said, I think VC is much more like of an endurance game. It's like pick your lane, stay focused and run your, your, your own race. The feedbacks loop are long. Some of the best uh, investment you'll make will probably be come out of relationship that you've built over five, ten plus years. Because those people, you know, you've, you've learned to know them. Maybe they've done a company before. Maybe they've, they've been operators and like all good things. If you try to do it well, stay focused and keep doing it and try to, to, to be better. Like, you know, always try to be better. Then hopefully at some point it, it just compounds. And then uh, and, and the most interesting comes towards, towards the end. And actually, if you pick some of the most famous investors, it's quite interesting sometimes to see that some of the greatest investments were done quite late in their uh, in, the, in in their career. So yeah, I think putting a vocabulary which is more around uh, a slower pace and the endurance for the industry is, is more appropriate.
0: Everyone, if you're listening in and you love our show, you know what to do. Follow the pod, drop us a review and subscribe at your.VC George, it was super nice to have you with us. I appreciate your time and hopefully we'll connect soon.
1: Thank you guys. It's uh, love what you're doing, and I should have said when I talk about Europe, I should start by saying you picked the the right name for the podcast. So um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really cool what you are doing.
0: Very creative, right? <laughs>
2: George, we have a final message from my son. He wants to say something. Okay. Yo, I file bye bye. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I did spend a couple of months in Denmark mm-hmm. when I was at Cope uh, at uh, at oh, Bank, really? but. Um, yeah, but uh, uh, unfortunately, I'm not sure I understood this.
2: He uh, attempted <laughs> a Trump remark of uh, saying you're fired.
1: <laughs> uh, good I, I, job I think Oliver. as his way to say the interview is, uh, is over. <laughs> yes. but, uh, yeah. Tear <laughs> <laughs> down this wall. It's more than just an ally. This, this is a union of values. 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 United and determined, we can serve as a model for other regions of the world. The nature of a problem, problem requires a European response. Europe is a story of new beginnings. New, new beginnings.
2: Let's start acting. 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 Yo, I fire, bye bye.